The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Children ages 4 and 5 can be dismissed to my left and your right uh, for Children's Church this morning. And and as they are going out, let me invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Take your copy of God's Word and open to Mark chapter 1. Anybody ever been exhausted? Anybody exhausted right now? Yeah. Anybody looking forward to an afternoon nap? Yeah, yeah, a lot of you. Uh, well, just remind you, wait till this afternoon, okay? Uh, don't, don't take that early. Uh, I've, I've told this before. Many of you may, may remember this, but maybe you, maybe you won't. Maybe it'll be fresh. But when I was 18 years old, almost 19 years old, uh, I had graduated high school. I hadn't gone to college. I just wanted to stay at home, live on mom and dad's dime. But I was very interested in, uh, I was very into car stereos at the time. I was, you know, I was the guy in the, in the early 90s that was driving the lowrider pickup truck with a sound system. Was that a bug that just flew by me? <laughs> there you go. Still there. All right. Where was I? I had a lowrider truck. Thank you. Uh, and I spent four thousand. I'm ashamed to admit this. I spent four thousand dollars on a stereo to put inside of a standard cab Mazda pickup truck. I look back on that now and I think I was an idiot, right? But I wanted to get this thing put in, and my friend Daniel, who you, whom you've heard, was instrumental in God calling me to ministry. Daniel died, and and you you remember that story. But Daniel and I worked on that car stereo. For, for hours straight. In fact, we stayed up for three days straight. We stayed up for 72, 74, somewhere in there, hours straight. I would go to work in the day, and I would, I would eat supper, and then I would go straight to working on this car stereo, and we would work on the car stereo throughout the night, and then go to work. And we did that for three straight days. At the end of those three days, it, it, was, it was complete, it was done, it sounded awesome, but I was exhausted. And I remember going home, and finally the, the work was done, and it was the weekend, and I didn't have to go to work anymore, I didn't have to work on the car stereo, and I remember going to my bedroom and just crashing into the bed. A few hours later, I woke up, sitting on the couch in the living room with a remote in my hand, watching TV and not knowing how I'd gotten there. I came to my senses, and I thought, "Who? Well, what happened? How did I get here? And I turned the TV off, and I put it down, and I went back to my bed and laid back down again. The next thing I know, I remember waking up, standing in the kitchen, when you used to have this curly line that was attached to a telephone, and I was on the phone in a conversation with someone, not knowing who they were or not knowing how I got there. And I remember just hanging up. I I still, to this day, don't know who I hung up on. But I hung up the phone and went back to bed, and I slept for several hours after that. I was so sleep-deprived that my body was doing things that it normally would not do. We're going to learn today in this passage of a time when Jesus, in his humanity, is, is exhausted. When, by and large, what we can glean from the text, he's so exhausted from ministry, not from putting car stereos in, but from ministry that he crashes into bed because he needs the rest. Perhaps you are there today. Maybe you're exhausted from life going on, from work or other things. Maybe you're exhausted from ministry all around you. But all of us, at one point or another, need rest. 
And so today I want to, to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, and draw our attention to why we need rest and what rest is made for in our lives. So if you will, look at Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39, and I'm going to compete for the attention of you all over this bug over here. All right, so 135. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in in their synagogues and casting out demons. This morning, I want to just walk through this passage. I, I had looked at this before. I had the sermon ready, and yesterday I just began to just walk through the passage again, and that's what I want to do with you today and uh, allow the Spirit of God to speak through the Word of God and show you some things here in the passage. The first point that I would bring to your attention is that Jesus needed rest because He was exhausted from ministry, but more than He needed rest, He needed to be alone with God. He needed to be alone with his father. And we see this in verse 35. Verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. For Jesus to have to have risen, he, he rose very early in the morning. For him to rise meant that Jesus at some point had to have laid down. That he had, more than likely, it was probably less laying down than it was falling into bed from exhaustion. And I want to show this to you. Look back at the the sections before this. In verses 21 and 22 there in Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins this day by by teaching in the synagogue. And he he was teaching there in the synagogue, and he was teaching in such a way that they were confounded by his wisdom. And he taught with such authority. Now, I don't claim to be anywhere near... Uh, what Jesus was. None of us can. We can't look at this and say we glean this from Jesus because we are what Jesus is in, in, in so many ways. But in his humanity, he teaches us some things. And I know from experience that, that teaching and preaching is indeed exhaustive work. That some of you will joke every now and then and you'll, you'll say things like, what do you do the rest of the week, Pastor? Because you only work on Sundays and Wednesdays. And I know you're joking when you say those sort of things. The reality is this, this hour or this 30 minutes or 45 or whatever it is is an exhaustive part of my week. Teaching here is, is, is the beginning of the day for Jesus, and it's a, it's a tiring part of the day. In verses 23 through 26, there was a disruption in the service while he's teaching and preaching by a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus, in the middle of this, when he's teaching, and this man with the unclean spirit begins to to accost him, Jesus rebukes the demon and casts the demon out. Well, if that ever happens here, I'm thankful that we have a safety team that's undergone training and this sort of thing, but if that happens here, I can tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek to apply the gospel, but I'm going to allow the proper authorities to handle the casting out, if you catch my drift. Right, Eric? Well, let the proper authorities take care of that. Jesus cast the demon out, and, and, and he's, this is part of his exhausting day. In verses 27 and 28, the people were all amazed, and his fame spread throughout all Galilee. So all of a sudden, he's began his, his, his ministry, his public ministry, and he's teaching, and he's casting out demons, and his fame spreads. 
The Bible says there in verses 29 and 31 that Jesus and his disciples, exhausted from this early morning, from this part of the day, they head to Peter's mother, Peter, uh, to his, his mother's house, and they want to get some lunch. The only thing is, when they arrived there, she was sick. And so Jesus, perhaps we would have looked in and said this was a time when Jesus should have been able to sit down and rest. Jesus goes to ministering to Peter's mother. And it says, the Bible there says that he takes her by the hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to serve them. Verses 32 through 34, that evening at sundown, the whole city showed up at the door. And they were bringing everyone who was sick or oppressed by demons. And Jesus spends hours into the dark healing those who were sick and casting out demons. Now, how would you feel at the end of a day like that? I would be exhausted. At, at the end of a day like that, starting with preaching and, and, and having a disruption and, and going to minister and, and, and healing and casting out demons and then spending hours at night, I would be absolutely exhausted. And you would too. Verse 35, though, tells us exactly why this is that I've made the conclusion that I have. When verse 35 says, and rising, I think it points to the fact that Jesus has spent this entire day pouring himself out to the point where he just absolutely had to crash into bed that night. After a day like that, many of us would be tempted to sleep in. I think Jesus, since he was tempted in all ways like we are, though without sin, I think Jesus may have been tempted to sleep in after that day. But that's not what happened. Notice in our passage, the, the verse 35 tells us that he rose very early in the morning while it was still dark. We know that the night before that the crowd didn't show up until sundown. And that probably he spent hours casting out demons and, and healing those who were sick. And now, while it is still dark, after he's caught maybe a few hours of sleep, he disciplines himself to rise early to go out to be with his father. The Bible here tells us that, that he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Even as tired as Jesus was, he disciplined himself for the purpose of godliness. Notice the, the actions that are there in this very first verse. In one verse, there are four different action words. That Jesus rose, that he departed, that he went, and that he prayed. You know, sometimes you and I are exhausted, and we know that we should get up in the morning and, and have time alone with God, but sometimes the hardest part of that is actually getting out of bed, isn't it? To get out from under the covers, especially on cold mornings when you're under those covers and it's warm, right? Am I the only one? Yeah, there you go. That's what I need, all right? It's hard. Jesus, though, fights the urge, and he gets out from under the covers. He rises. It then says that he departs, that he doesn't stay in some comfortable atmosphere there. He doesn't stay in the, the warmth of, of the house where he was. Instead, that he departs, that he goes out from there. And part of what, where we fail, perhaps, in our time alone with God is not just staying under the covers, but then when we get out of the covers, we go into a place where perhaps it's too comfortable still. And we sit down in a comfortable chair. Perhaps we have a nice warm beverage, coffee or hot tea. And we open the Word in a dimly lit room, and we fight the nods all the way through. Again, am I the only one? Jesus gets up out of the bed. He departs. He leaves the house. 
And it says there that he, he went. He went out to a desolate place. Now, probably he's walking at this point in the morning. It's still dark. He's out in the cool air, and he's going out into the, uh, to a desolate place, out into, in some ways, the, the great outdoors, the wilderness. And this alone would have helped him to, to knock the sleepiness off. We forget sometimes the humanity of Jesus. We, we want to see him as, as only God, but he's fully God and he's fully man. And so I think he wrestled with some of the things that we also wrestle with. And he knows that he needs to be alert and he needs to be awake. He doesn't want to enter into the presence of his father half-heartedly. So he, he goes for this walk out into the desolate place. And the night air, I think, wakes him up. And there he prays. These four actions that Jesus undertakes. Why? Why does Jesus go to such lengths? For someone who's continually and always in tune with the Father, why does He need to exercise such discipline to be alone with the Father? Well, we don't know exactly what Jesus prayed, but the context tells us that it's not so much about what He prayed as why. Jesus went through all of this action because he knew that he needed to be alone with God. It was simply for solitude with the Father. Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, said prayer is not made so that God can find out what we need because Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 8, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God wants us to pray because prayer expresses our trust in God and is a means whereby our trust in Him can increase. Prayer brings us into deeper fellowship with God, and He loves us and delights in our fellowship with Him. Now, in the godness of Jesus, there could be no room for more unity because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are perfectly unified here. But the Bible tells us that Jesus learned obedience in His humanity through suffering and and through living just like you and I do. And he goes out and in his humanity and he spends time alone with the Father. A.W. Tozer, when he wrote, um, probably somewhere around uh, the 40s, 50s, somewhere in there. I don't know exactly when this was written. It could have been earlier than that. But A.W. Tozer helps us understand the importance of solitude when he prayed this. Lord, teach me to listen. The times are noisy, and my ears are weary with the thousand raucous sounds which continuously assault them. Give me the spirit of the boy Samuel when he said to thee, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Let me hear thee speaking in my heart. Let me get used to the sound of thy voice, that its tones may be familiar when the sounds of the earth die away, and the only sound will be the music of thy speaking voice. Amen. Now, what I would pose to you is that looking at what Grudem has said and Tozer has said and the example here that we learn in Scripture, if Jesus needed alone time with God, how much more do you and I? If A.W. Tozer, who was born in, I think, 1896 and and died in 1960-something, if before the days of cell phones and before the days of the Internet... If A.W. Tozer described the day in which he lived as his, his ears being assaulted with a thousand raucous sounds, then how has that multiplied with you and I? You and I live in a day where, where we are more, we're, we're busier than we've ever been. We do have the cell phone. We do have the internet. Life gets really, really busy and life gets really, really hard. 
You and I, uh, we, our, our work schedules sometimes get almost out of control. I can remember as a kid, my dad working at Alcoa Aluminum, driving a forklift for 38 and a half years. I remember a lot of times he, he had to be there at 6 in the morning. That's when his shift started. We lived an hour away, and so he would get up at 4.20 every morning, and he would leave the house just before 5 o'clock, and he would drive the hour and get to work and clock in at 6 o'clock and find out once he got there that he needed to work a double shift, which meant that he would not get off at 2 like he was accustomed to, but he would work until 10 o'clock that night, drive the hour home, crash into bed, and get up at 4.20 and do it all over again. And that's not, that's not making my dad out to be some hero because many of you know that very same experience. You know what it is to work a double shift. You know what it is to bring your work home with you. That at 5 o'clock doesn't mean the work ends. You've got to bring it home because your boss is expecting things to be done on a certain deadline. And so there's, there's no other way except to bring it home. Many of you work on the road. and You spend time in your vehicle traveling here and there. It takes you away from family, and you know that life gets busy and life gets hard. We, we have cell phones with us that are constantly always on. Um, many of you right now, if you've got a cell phone in your hand or on your lap or whatever, just raise it up for me real quick. Yeah, there's phones all across this place, right? And, and many of you are on those because you're looking at Scripture. Some of you are looking at email. Some of you are on some app playing some game. This preacher is not delusional about that. But that's the day in which we live. We live where email is constantly there, where text messages are constantly there, where social media is, is begging for our attention. Our calendars ding throughout the day, reminding us of things that we have to do. This is the day in which we live. And I would say if, if A.W. Tozer in his day talked about the thousand raucous voices, perhaps we could say the, the tens of thousands of raucous voices. The point that I'm trying to make, and I think the passage makes, that Jesus would have us to understand in His disciplining Himself after a long and hard and exhausting day by getting up and going out to spend time alone with the Father, the point is that you and I need it just as much, if not more so. And it will not come naturally. Rest in God. Time alone with Him will not come by drifting into it. If you allow yourself to drift and you say, well, well, the Spirit of God is just going to work in my life and I'll just drift toward godliness. Yes, God makes the promise that those whom He has saved, He will bring them all the way through to the end. But the Bible also tells us in 1 Timothy 4 to train ourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for present life and also for the life to come. We're told to discipline ourselves, is the way I memorized it, for the purpose of godliness. And if Jesus needed to discipline himself and his humanity to do this, how much more do we? We must work hard to rest in him because it will not come naturally. The second thing I would point out to you from our passage this morning is the disciples thought that they needed to please everyone, but Jesus taught them that they needed to please the Father more. Verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. I read this yesterday, and I'm, I'm just thinking through my sermon again, and I'm, I'm walking through verse by verse and phrase by phrase, and I came to this, and, and, and it hit me, Simon... 
searched for him. Should we be surprised that Simon is the one who sought to interrupt Jesus in his quiet time? No. This, would not, this would, wasn't the first, it wouldn't be the last time that Simon goes out of his way to interrupt Jesus. If you'll remember in, in Mark chapter 8, just a few chapters forward in, in this book, Jesus has told his disciples how he's going to have to be arrested and he will suffer and he will die and he will be raised from the dead. And Peter, who's just figured out who God is, who Jesus is, pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. Jesus, you're wrong about this. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? Knowing who he is? This is Peter. And Peter here, we should not be surprised that he's the one who leads the charge to find Jesus and interrupt him and pull him out of his time alone with God. Verse 37 says, They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And I think what's going on here is the disciples had experienced all of a sudden, sudden fame. Remember the day before? All of a sudden, his fame spread throughout all Galilee. And that night, they're just at the house, hanging out, knock on the door, open the door, and the entire city, the Bible here tells us that everyone in the city came to the door. Now, Jesus looks at this completely different than they would have. They look at this as, we have made it. This is success. We are famous because we have attached ourselves to Jesus. We are the next big thing. They thought they were Benny Hinn before Benny Hinn. They just knew that, that they had it all together. And in their mind, if they were going to achieve this fame and sustain this fame, that they had to give the people what they wanted. And so when Jesus had gotten up early and went out and was alone praying in a, in, a, in a desolate place, and later on, at some point, we don't know when, when people knock at the door again and probably wake the disciples up from their slumber, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? All they can think of is that we've got to sustain this. We've got to give the people what they want. And you and I perhaps would feel the same way. We would think in that same manner. We're tempted to do that. But Jesus answers them in verse 38 when they rush into his presence and pull him away from his time with the Father. And Jesus said to them, let us go to the next towns. This would have made no sense to them because they would have thought, Jesus... We've got such a good thing going on here. Why would we leave this, Jesus? And if it had been up to the disciples, the mission would have stopped short at sensational people-pleasing. But Jesus understood that the mission was more than that. Jesus understood that His agenda would not be set by the whims of the crowd, but by the, the will of the Father. And that you and I, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in a ministry of people-pleasing as well both in our corporate life together as Abner Creek Baptist Church and also in our individual lives as believers. Every single one of us is called to ministry in some sort. We're all called to make disciples. If we're not careful, we can get caught up in what it means to, to please people and dragged away into this, this slippery slope. One that causes us to compete with other churches instead of partnering with them. To look at, look at churches all around us, to, to look at Burnsview and Four Points and others and say, oh, we don't want people to go to them. We want to be the show in town. We're not in 
competition with any of the churches around us. We are in partnership with them. We pray for our brothers and sisters. But if we're not careful, this people-pleasing and the, the, the trap that it is will draw us away to this. If we're not careful, we can get caught up in a ministry of people-pleasing that causes us to embrace pragmatism that justifies any means possible to accomplish an end that we want. Every now and then I'll get these, these videos that you all find on the internet, find on YouTube, and you send to me. And I don't care how many of those you send me, I will never descend on a wire and a harness into this pulpit. <laughs> a lot of people would show up for that, but I'm not doing it. I don't care how many people want to see it, I'm not bringing a trampoline on stage and breaking my neck just to convince some people to pay a little more attention to the Scriptures. You see, this is where we go in our world if, if we pay attention to what it is to please people. Instead of seeking to please everyone, instead of listening to the voice of the crowd and saying, everyone's looking for Him. Instead, we've got to re- fight the urge to go down that path and say, it's not so much It's not so important that we please everyone because we can't do that. Instead, it's more important that we would say, God, what is your agenda? And what would you call us to? And how would you have us to do that? We need to follow the agenda that God has laid out for us as a a church and the agenda that God has laid out for us as individuals. We need to quit worrying about what other people think is best or what is the fad of the day. We need to stop living our lives to please everybody but God because no matter how hard we try or how much money we have or or how creative we can possibly be, we will never, ever please everyone. I've routinely come out of services, come down off this platform and had people stop and say, Pastor, thank you for the message today. It was very good. I enjoyed your message. God spoke to me through your message and turned right around to someone else who was angry with my message. No matter how hard you try, you're never going to please everyone. So what we must do is to say, God, help us not to be guilty of trying to please people, but to please you. Father, would you show us what you have? The third point in our passage this morning is the crowds needed physical healing and and demonic liberation, but they needed the gospel even more. You see, I'm not making light of the fact that they needed healing, that the demons needed to be cast out. But I am drawing a distinction that that's not the most important thing. That more than anyone needs the the physical benefits of God, that they need the, the gospel more than anything. Verse 38, He said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. Jesus came out of His solitude, and this is the point that I really want you to hear today. Jesus came out of his solitude with with the Father with a renewed sense of clarity of why he was there. And I would say to you that so many of us sometimes can get so busy with life and so busy with work and kids and all of those things that we forget that our first calling is to the kingdom that's not of this world. And Jesus, a a result of him spending time with his father is that he comes out with this renewed clarity of why he was on earth. It was not to settle down in one place. He told the disciples, let's go on to the next towns. 
It was not even to meet everyone's desires. He wanted to meet the will of the Father. It was not even to heal diseases. Instead, it was to preach the gospel and push back the darkness of sin and death in the world. To expand the boundaries of God's kingdom by preaching the gospel. That doesn't mean that Jesus swore off meeting people at their point of felt need. Because we learn there in, in, in the last verse of our passage, He went throughout all Galilee preaching, yes, and casting out demons. Jesus is not swearing off this this point of meeting them where they are, meeting these physical needs that they have. Instead, he's just not not doing those at the expense of the gospel. The very next passage is there in, in Mark. Jesus cleanses a leper and he heals a paralytic. So he's not swearing those things off. He just makes sure that the disciples know that those things are not the main thing. The main thing is preaching. Sometimes this is you hear preaching and you hear Jesus say, I'm, I'm here to preach, and, and you think that somehow that's not a command on you. You think that's a command on me and Matt and, and others. But the Bible calls every single believer to preach. And I don't mean to preach a three-point sermon and throw in a good poem here and there and a funny story. But you are to engage and encounter the people that God places in your life. Your neighbors, your friends, your family members who are lost, your co-workers. You're to engage them with the gospel and to articulate the gospel, to live it out and live it well through the power of the Spirit that lives within you, depending on the gospel completely, but also sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel as you go. It's what all of us are called to, and Jesus here makes the point that that's why He came. And I would say to you, church, there's a lot of good that we could do But there's only one thing that we've been truly called to do, and that is to make disciples. It's a great thing that we would go out into public schools and that we would go out and we would serve in in various ways in our community. But if we divorce those from the gospel, then we may do some temporal good, but we will not do anything that is lasting. We won't do anything that's really great without preaching the gospel. Jesus knew that he needed to rest, but more than he needed to rest, he needed to be alone with the Father. The disciples thought that they needed to please everybody, but they needed to please God more than they needed to please men. And the crowds around them needed physical healing and this demonic liberation, but beyond their need for those things, they needed the gospel. I started out by telling you the story of a desperate need for rest, And perhaps it's because in some ways I'm exhausted. We all get exhausted from time to time. Sometimes we think that all we need is sleep. That perhaps we need vitamins. We need to eat better and drink more water. I would tell you that beyond any of those things, not that any of those things are, are bad, but the greatest thing that you and I can do is to press into the Father. To spend time with Him. You will find all sorts of excuses as to why you shouldn't. A warm, comfortable bed. You can make excuses for, you know, I just don't know how, or I don't know, I don't don't read well, or or I'm just not comfortable praying. 
And I would tell you the only way that you're going to get comfortable is by doing it. I've been walking with the Lord as a, as a believer, not perfectly by any stretch, for a lot of years now. And I've heard all sorts of plans and theories about how to have a quiet time. You know what it comes down to? It comes down to you with the Word of God and reading the words of God and expecting Him to speak to you through them and then praying those back to Him and saying, God, I want this in my life. God, I want you to be glorified in my life. God, I want you to use me. Lord, I want you to expand your kingdom through me. I would just challenge you in that, just to perhaps take a chapter a day and begin to read God's Word and just listen for things that He might highlight and bring out to you. And then talk to God about those things. It doesn't have to be a long session. We don't know how long Jesus drew away, how long He's out there before Peter comes interrupting. We have no idea. We know that Jesus drew away. We know that it was early in the morning, and it doesn't even have to be early in the morning. But we, we know that He draws away. And I would tell you that, that there's no prescribed length or, or, or method, I would just encourage you, I would implore you, if you are a child of God and you're feeling exhausted in your work and in your following of Him, would you draw away with Him? Would you begin to make that a practice? You say, Pastor, that's adding one more thing to my day. I think you will discover that as you add this one more thing to your day, that God will supply grace in whatever else you have to do that you can't explain. Let us work hard to draw away with God in order to be sent out by God to make disciples for His great name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You, God. I thank You for Your Word. Jesus, I thank You that You came, that You put on flesh, that You subjected Yourself to, to be tempted as we are, to feel the very weight of, of humanity in a fallen world. That while you never sinned, Jesus, you, you know what it is to be tired. You know what it is to work to the point of exhaustion. To work to the point of agony. You know what it is to, to work to the point of just falling into bed. And so God, I, I pray, Lord, that we would in some ways feel an affinity and, and we would draw close to You simply because You know where we are. But God, I pray that we would not allow that to be an excuse, Lord, for us to, to ignore a need to be with the Father. But in, instead, God, that You would, by the power of the Spirit, would You move us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Or would you cause us, Lord, to know how to press into your word and press into you? Or would you give us a sweetness just in, in, in time with you? Would you make us increasingly more and more comfortable there? And God, as we do those, as we spend time with you, as we make that a priority in our lives, Lord, would you, would you give us energy for the other things that you've called us to? Or would you remind us of, of why we're really here? Just as Jesus came out reminded that he was to preach, Lord, that you might remind us of our call to make disciples for your glory. Lord, would you lead us, Lord, to draw away to be sent out. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond accordingly. And as the Spirit of God has spoken to you through the Word of God, would you just respond as he leads? Perhaps come and pray. Perhaps come and speak to me on the front row. 
Maybe you're here today and you've just been running a rat race and, and you've, you've neglected what it is to discipline yourself for godliness. You've forgotten that God invites you to come boldly into His presence. Maybe today you just need to confess that to the Lord and lay yourself down and say, God, help me. Maybe today you're here and just real practically you'd say, Pastor, I want to do this. I want to have time alone with God, but I don't know how. Would you come see me? I would love to practically just help you and show you some some tools as to how you can get started. I know this can be daunting, but I promise you, you will not regret spending time alone with God in His Word. Whatever you respond, say yes to Him. Let's worship Him through our obedience. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.